working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. We sing we make miracle work, promise deeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you
empty phrase and treasures that church i'd like to invite you to stand with us as we sing praises to the only one who is worthy our lord jesus the christ who has done great things for us let's sing together let's celebrate dawn of creation this world has been crying out for home your hero is saved Save the day, to clear the stage, prepare the way, cause heaven and earth are singing, glory, hallelujah, let the whole world see, sing it out, the greatness of our God, in awesome wonder, He reigns forever, we know the greatness of our God, His power is endless, He lives within us. The greatness of our God oh, The greatness of our God Not about Him Only our Savior wears the crown None who can stop Him Not even
sing and celebrate the greatness of our God. We raise a hallelujah today, church. An awesome wonder we stand before you, Lord, and have it our praises today for your glory and for our good. I will raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I will raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. Let's sing together. I will raise a
Lord, thank you. So we pour 
may be seated, church. Yes. Amen. As we think about just the truth of that song and how it's Christ and Christ alone and His breath in us gives us everything that we need. Such a great segue into our prayer time this morning. Uh, as, we, as we pray through the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, this week I want us to focus in on that section of the prayer where Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, right? And so what he's doing there is Jesus is telling us that we ask for what we need, right? Whatever you need, you can ask. And this obviously includes physical needs and financial needs and relational needs and all that sort. But I want us to focus in on a different kind of need. The spiritual need. Do you spend time asking God to provide for you that daily need? Everything you need to survive spiritually in Him. And there's nothing wrong with asking for the physical things and the financial things and the relational things. All that's great. I, I pray for all those things as well. But the fact is there's going to come a day where every physical need I'm praying for isn't going to matter anymore. And every financial need I'm praying for isn't going to matter anymore. And every relational need I'm praying for isn't going to matter anymore. The only thing that's going to matter is the spiritual. And so we need to spend a lot of time praying towards that end. I want to read a scripture to you. Psalm 85, verses 6 and 7. It says, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. As we begin this new year, we want to ask God to show us his love and revive us again. That word revive is really interesting. It's important. It means to restore life. right? And you only seek to revive something that has had life and still has the hope of life still in it. right? I mean, you don't, you don't perform CPR on a corpse. Right? Because there's no hope for reviving there. You don't, you don't do that. You only seek to revive something that has had life and the hope of life is still there. And this is what he's describing here. Praying that God would spark again that spiritual life that used to be alive in you. Can we just ask a real honest question? And I say this all the time, but I say it because I think it's important to say, even as a joke, let's be honest. And I know we're in church and this is no place to be honest, but let's give it a shot. Can you say that there was a time in your life where you were more in love with Jesus than you are today? You were more on fire. You were more excited about the things of God. It was just something, you just, you just loved it, you just craved it, you were excited, you were really pumped up, you, 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 were, you were super involved with the body of Christ, like you were in it. And then whatever happened, right, whatever, fill in the blank. Right? Something happened, life happened, a hurt happened, a sin happened, or whatever happened, and, and that began to, to wane. That's exactly what Psalm 85 is talking about here. God is talking to you. He hasn't forgotten you, He hasn't forsaken you, and He's not left you behind. He said, here's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray that you would see fresh again my love for you, and that you will be revived in your soul. This is God's desire for you, that you would be revived. What a great prayer. So I'm going to ask us to bow our heads. I want us to spend a little time praying this morning. So first, just you. 
do you feel like you need to be revived? If so, seek the Lord for that. Seek Him for that right here, right now. Confess that. Tell Him. The way that we're revived is by realizing our need for it and by calling out to God as the only one who can truly revive us. Call out to Him. God, I pray for us here this morning. I pray for every person in this room. God, I don't know every individual situation and circumstance and what's on the minds and hearts of people in this room right now. But God, I have to believe that there are people in this room that really want to be revived. I pray, God, one, that you would protect them from condemnation that's a sneaky scheme of the devil. They won't feel condemned because of their need to be revived, God, this is, a, this is a good thing that you're showing them this. I pray, God, that you would stir up in them, God, just an understanding, a greater affection for you and who you are, your love for them, and as a result, their love for you. I pray, God, if there's anything in their life that does need to be removed, you would show them that, you would convict them of that, and you, by your grace, would empower them to repent of that and walk in obedience. I pray for reviving. I pray for a revival. I pray, God, that you would allow us to see that revival is not some dates on a calendar that we used to go to when we were young. But revival is a, part, is a, it's a state of the soul. It's a state of the heart where we are being revived by you, God. So I pray, God, for those of us here in this room, that you would provide for us today our spiritual need. And our spiritual need is that we need to be revived in you. Do this in us, Jesus. And I pray, God, also for those here in the room that have no desire for that whatsoever, I pray, God, that you would show them why that is. Either A, they don't really know you, or B, they have become very hardened and calloused. I pray, God, by your grace, you would break through that and show them their need for revival and that you would revive them. Lord God, we ask you to give us this day our daily bread. And what we need is a revival of your spirit. Do this in this God for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, if you got a Bible, iPad, phone, whatever you got, let's find the book of James together, all right? James chapter 1. We're beginning a new series today in the book of James. I'm super excited about it. This is going to take us pretty much to Easter. Uh, it's going to be great. So if you were with us in the fall... We went through the book of Galatians. If you weren't with us in the fall, I encourage you to go back and grab the app and uh, listen to those sermons. Basically, the idea with Galatians is this, right? That you do nothing to save yourself, right? God saves you. It's not your best work. It's not your best efforts, right? We saw every week the gospel is this. Right? The gospel is right standing with God that was bought by Jesus on the cross and is experienced only by faith in his work. Adding anything to that ruins everything. Right? The gospel is that you are saved, you're a Christian because you believe by faith in Jesus. Not anything you do to earn that. 
Living a certain life does not make you a Christian. Attending this church does not make you a Christian. Doing certain things or not doing certain things does not make you a Christian. The way you live, you are not a Christian because of the way you live. However, being a Christian will change the way you live. Is this making sense? The way you live does not make you a Christian. However, when you become a Christian, it will then change how you live. This is where the book of James comes in, all right? James is going to commit this idea. As a follower of Christ, as someone who believes by faith in Jesus, how now should you live? What are the marks of a Christian? What does the life of a Christian look like? Right? If you believe by faith in Christ, you say that you have faith in Jesus to make you new, that's great. Now, that same faith in Jesus will empower you to live new. All right, so here's the big idea for James. All right, every week this is going to be our big push. Here's what James is trying to tell you. A faith that saves you will also change you. A faith that saves you will also change you. There is no such thing as an untransformed Christian. There is no such thing as a follower of Jesus Christ who doesn't actually follow Jesus Christ. That doesn't exist. And this is what James is going to be getting at week after week after week. We're calling this series in James, Live Your Faith. That's the idea. That as you have faith in Christ, you trust by faith in Christ, that faith in Christ is going to change you and make you new. And so every single week we're going to be working through the book of James, seeing this. How does faith in Jesus make you different? How does faith in Jesus empower you to live differently? All right? So let's jump in together. James chapter 1, verse 1. All we're going to do today is verse 1. All right? Now, if you're new with us, let me tell you, just because I'm doing one verse does not mean the sermon will be short. Just trying to set the expectations, all right? But James chapter 1, verse 1. Let's jump in together, all right? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes and the dispersion, greetings. All right, so James. Who is James? So James is known by a couple of different nicknames uh, throughout church history. He's known as James the Just because he lived a really upright and moral life. Uh, he was actually given the nickname Old Camel Knees because apparently he spent so much time in prayer on his knees that he developed these hard calluses on his knees. And so uh, they gave him the loving nickname Old Camel Knees. When you pray so much it physically deforms you, you're legit, right? That's, you are officially on a different level. But the most significant thing about James that I want you to know who James is, James is also the little brother of Jesus. That's a pretty significant name drop, correct? James is the little half-brother of Jesus. So Jesus, uh, Mary had Jesus. He was born, uh, and she remained a virgin, right? She conceived of the Holy Spirit, remained a virgin, gave birth to Jesus as a virgin. But after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had a normal marriage with a lot of kids. One of them... 
was a kid named James. Uh, so think about it just for a second. What would it must have been like to be the little brother of Jesus? Can we be honest? Probably not great. Right? I mean, Mary's in the kitchen making dinner, and she hears a rumble in the other room. All she has to yell is this, I don't know what's going on, but I know Jesus is right. James, apologize to your brother. Right? I mean, that has to stink. So this is James, the little brother of Jesus. And as you go through the Gospels, what you begin to see as well is, as Jesus is growing up and having his ministry, James is not a believer. James does not think his brother is God. In fact, we have some indication in the Gospels that James thinks his brother is crazy. And again, these are real people, right? Sometimes we can kind of separate reality from the Bible. These are real people. If your big brother starts walking around telling people he's God, what's your first thought? Right? Your first thought is probably, he's crazy, right? If someone, if you're, any of you had an older brother, raise your hand. Older brothers, excellent. If your little, if your older brother walks up on stage right now and says, I am God, and my little sibling is going to stand and give evidence to that. You're going to go, I don't know about God. Satan, maybe. God, not, not real sure. However, when Jesus dies on the cross, is buried, rises again. After he physically rises from the grave, there are only a handful of people that he intentionally goes to and meets with. One of them is his little brother, James. So he goes to James after being resurrected from the grave. Goes to his little brother James and says, I'm sure he's a brother. At the end of the day, Jesus is a brother. So I'm sure, like, as Jesus appeared to James, his only words were, told you so. Right? Told you. So James becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. He believes that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. He is indeed God in flesh. He becomes a worshiper of his big brother. Worships Jesus as God. Not only that, he becomes a pastor, leading others to worship his big brother as God. Not only that, he becomes the leader of the early church. Like James appears to be the primary leader in the Jerusalem church, leading all the other Christians and all the other church plants to worship and serve his big brother Jesus as God. Not only that, But he's one of the original first martyrs in the Christian faith. He's one of the first generation of Christians to die because he refused to stop worshiping his big brother as God. And and how they did it, they, they took James to the top of the temple and said, either recant, deny Jesus is the Messiah, or we're going to throw you off. And James said, I can't. Jesus is God. So they threw him off the top of the temple. And I don't know if it was because of all the uh, calluses on his knees, but he falls off the temple, hits the ground, and the dude doesn't die. Right? So they go down, pick up clubs, and start beating him to death. And according to history, as he's being beaten to death, James does the same thing his big brother Jesus did. He prays to God for the forgiveness of those who's killing him. This is James. It's amazing. But as we jump into James, 
what I want you to see is this. Even though James is the little brother of Jesus, and even though James is the leader of the church, with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people, that's not how he refers to himself. Look again at James 1.1. How does, Jesus, how does James introduce himself? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word servant there is doulos. It means someone who willfully places themselves under the subjection of another as master. In other words, this isn't someone who was captured in battle and forced into slavery. This is someone who knows a master, loves a master, desires to serve a master, and willfully says, I will serve you for the rest of my life, and voluntarily submits themselves under that lordship. This is a doulos servanthood. And this is how James describes himself, as the willful, obedient, loving slave to Jesus. And this is where I want us to focus our time here today. What does it mean to be a servant of Jesus? What does it mean to be a slave of Jesus? And how does that translate out now into the rest of our Christian life? So think about Jesus beginning his ministry. 2,000 years ago, he walks up on a sea and finds four guys fishing. And he goes up to them and he says... Follow me, and I'll not make you fishers of men. And as he's doing that, he's going up to them, and he's calling them to abandon everything in their life. Abandon your job, abandon your security, abandon your financial setting, abandon your family, abandon your future, abandon your hope, abandon everything. Leave every bit of that behind and just follow me. He's going to go on to the Gospels and repeatedly say, if anyone's going to follow me, they must deny themselves. Think about that. We live in a world completely obsessed with self. We live in a world that says protect yourself, provide for yourself, encourage yourself, build yourself up, secure yourself, do everything for yourself, entertain yourself. And Jesus says, if you want to actually follow me, you must die to yourself. That's a, that's a different kind of call, right? And apparently, these four guys, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, did that very thing. They followed Jesus all the way to the very end, meaning Peter was crucified upside down, Andrew was crucified in Greece, James was beheaded, and John was boiled alive in hot oil and left to die on a deserted island. They abandoned everything and just followed Jesus. However, as you fast forward now to us 2,000 years later, what we see now are churches filled with men and women, boys and girls, whose understanding of Christianity is believe a couple of thoughts in your head, repeat a prayer, and you're good. Give some kind of notion, some kind of nod to Christianity. Call yourself this. Check it on the box when you're asked to fill out a survey. 
But nothing about denying. Nothing about dying to self. Nothing about now. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, that means you cease to be in control of anything in your life and you're just the slave of Jesus. That's it. That's what it means to be a Christian. And that idea has left us. It's no longer about that anymore. Many of us entered the Christian faith because someone said, repeat this prayer after me. But they never told you about denying yourself. Never told you about hating sin. Never told you about hating this world. Never told you about any of those things. Never taught you about repentance. Never taught you about any of that. Just said, repeat after me. You want to hop in the pool? You want to go to heaven and see grandma when you die, don't you? Streets of gold and gates of pearl. Who doesn't want that? Repeat after me. However, though, if you actually read the Gospels, Jesus' call to follow him looked a lot different than that. I'll give you one verse. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. In Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So let's break this verse down just for a quick second. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. In other words, not everyone. That, when you say Lord, Lord, in my mind, that sounds a lot like a sinner's prayer, doesn't it? Right, you're calling out to Jesus as Lord. Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says that is going to actually be in the kingdom. What you say doesn't put you in the kingdom. It's a matter of what you do. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But the one who actually does the will of God is the one who's going to be in the kingdom. The one who actually obeys God is the one who will be in the kingdom. The one who actually lives as a slave to Jesus. That's the one that's a Christian. Not just the one who says it. A lot of people say it. Very few actually live it. Now again, don't get confused here. Don't get it twisted. I'm not saying, Jesus for sure is not saying, and James is not going to be saying that you're saved because of what you do. Right? I have, if I've done anything in the three years I've been here, I have beat that drum mercilessly. And if you think I'm saying that, you're either lying or you haven't been paying attention. All right? That is not what's happening here. You are saved just by grace, through faith alone, and that is it. However, when you are actually saved by grace through faith alone, it will radically, significantly flip your life upside down, and you will cease to be who you were before. You will now be different. You will live differently. You will think differently. You will act differently you will talk differently you will be a different person and if that difference has never happened you need to spend time with jesus today to make sure you actually belong to him because i'm not convinced you are it is not those who say it is those who do and just to make sure again we 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 uh, uh set aside any false notions attending here when your schedule permits and always voting republican isn't what he's talking about 
do you live a life that obeys Jesus? You cannot, with a straight face, call yourself a follower of Jesus if you do not actually, wait for it, follow Jesus. You're deceived. You're wrong. If you were to back up in Matthew chapter 7, it would describe the path that you're on is very wide with a whole lot of people on it, and it's just going to end up in hell. But there's another path. There's a very small gate, a very hard, narrow path, and very few people are going to walk down, but that's the path that actually leads to life, and that's the path of obedience and slavery to Jesus. Are you on that path is that the road you're on because that is the only one that's going to actually lead you to heaven if you're going to be a follower of jesus you must actually obey him and as we go through the book of james we're going to have a lot of opportunities to be told to obey. In fact, in James, there are only five chapters in James, but in those five chapters, there are over 50 commands. Over 50 commands. Over 50 times in James, you're going to be told, do this thing or don't do that thing, right? Over and over and over and over. Don't love the things of the world. Control your tongue. Stop being prideful. You're going to be told to obey a lot. But here's what I want to do. I want us to take a step back. And I want us to chat just for a minute about what biblical gospel obedience is and what it is not, okay? Because what can happen is this. If you see the command to obey and you seek to obey in an unbiblical way, it's just going to lead to more frustration and difficulty and hardship in your life, right? It isn't going to help you. It's going to hurt you. So before we jump into James over the next few months and talk about all the things that God is telling you, look, if you're a slave to Jesus, here's what you're going to need to obey. Before we do that, we need to first set a foundation of what gospel obedience is and isn't, all right? So, I've shared this illustration with you before, and I want to do it again, because uh, I think it, it, it serves the point, uh, that of an apple tree. So imagine I decide that I want an apple tree in my backyard. And so I leave church today, and I stop by Walmart, and I buy a bag of apples and a roll of duct tape. And I go home. And I go in my backyard, and I start duct-taping apples to a pine tree in my backyard. And I go, poof, I now have an apple tree. Well, do I have an apple tree? No, right? Of course not. No. How do you actually have an apple tree? You take an apple seed, you plant it in the ground, you nurture that seed, that seed begins to germinate, little sprouts come out, they form roots, from that a little sprout shoots up out of the ground, it's going to form the trunk, and it eventually grows, 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 and when the time is right, the fruit of apples bears out of it. Brothers and sisters, how does this relate to Christian obedience? How do you bear the fruit of good works? It starts by faith. Many of us, the way that we've gone about obedience in the Christian life is that we've seen a command of God. 
God says, do this thing or don't do that thing. And you treat Christian obedience like a New Year's resolution. Right? Okay, I'm going to do it this time. I'm serious. I mean it. I'm doing it. I'm redoubling my efforts. I'm getting an accountability partner. I'm getting this thing done. Let's go. I got it. And so you try to jump in with all your best strength and effort. And all you're really doing is duct taping apples to a pine tree. It eventually is going to run off. It's eventually going to wear you out. That fruit's eventually going to rot and fall off. And you're going to be standing around frustrated. Hey, what happened? I tried. I don't get it. So how do you bear spiritual fruit? It's about faith. It's about planting a seed of faith, trusting by faith in Christ, and allowing that faith to grow, and that faith is going to bear out spiritual fruit. Bearing fruit in Christ, obeying Christ, is not about focusing in on the thing you want to do or not do. Obeying Christ is about focusing in on Christ. You see, Jesus, what he did for you, his finished work on your behalf, his love and grace poured into your heart, his spirit alive in you, his life given to you through faith in him. You trust by faith in him, you turn to him, you look to him, and he empowers you to obey. For many of you, I want to encourage you just for a second. You're struggling in obedience. Not because you're not really a Christian. Not because you don't love Jesus. And not because you don't want to obey. You're struggling in obedience because you're trying to walk in obedience in an unbiblical, ungospel way. You're trying to do it in your own strength, in your best effort. And that's why it's falling apart. That's why you're struggling. I want to encourage you. I want to lay out for you. That's not the way God intended for it to work. That's why it's not working. How do you obey? I'm going to give you a scripture. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. Look at this scripture. Colossians 2 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ? How did you become a Christian? By grace through faith. Right? It wasn't your best efforts. It wasn't your best work. You didn't try hard. God didn't pick you because you're awesome. Right? How did you come, become a Christian? You became a Christian by just trusting by faith in the grace of God. You laid yourself down before Jesus and you said, I can't do this. I can't fix me. I can't get rid of my sin. I need you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising for me. Thank you for giving your life to me. Forgive me. You take away my sin. You get rid of my sin. You fill me with your life. Jesus, I need you. That's how you became a Christian, right? Now here's what's the frustrating thing. That's how you become a Christian. It's all Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. And then when you try to obey Jesus, you're like, I got this. No, you don't. That's why you keep struggling. That's why you keep faltering. You're trying to duct tape apples to a pine tree. It's not natural. You're trying to do it in your own strength. The way you came into Christ, that's how you now follow Christ. The way you came in to loving and serving Jesus, that's the way you now continue to follow Jesus. You came by grace through faith, so you continue only by grace through faith. 
James says, the foundation for obedience is understanding that you are a slave to Jesus. You have to obey him. However, listen, the only way you're going to obey him is if you turn to him and trust by faith in him. Let that seed of faith nurture up in your heart. You turn to Jesus. You trust in Jesus. You allow Jesus to build this up in you. Whenever you see falsehood in you, whenever you see disobedience in you, whenever you see struggle in you, you turn to Jesus, not yourself, not your own strength, just to him. So let's, let's practically think through a couple of examples. So as we go through the book of James, we're going to be again told commands, right? Command after command after command. So let me give you a couple of ideas. One of the commands that you're going to be told in James is, it is a, is a legit command of God that you be joyful when you're experiencing trials. That's a legitimate command. And again, we've got to remember commands. Commands are meant to be followed. I was talking to one of our... Um, uh, service members active with you guys this week and we're talking about life in Christ and faith in Christ and all of that and he's talking about obedience and trusting the Lord and obeying the Lord and he said you know when I'm uh, uh, when I was uh, deployed you know in Iraq and Afghanistan he said and I was told pull security on that corner I never asked why right? I never said why this corner why that alley who am I looking for what should I be it was just you stand there pull security yes sir and boom I did it this is a command. That's how you follow a command. And so same thing. You are commanded to be joyful in your trials. So let me throw myself under the bus to spare you from the tire marks. There are times in my life where I am not joyful in trials. I'm just not. There are times in my life where trials come and my immediate response is not Yay, Jesus. Just not. So what do I do when that happens? Right? What I cannot do is see the command, be joyful in trial, and go, okay, okay, God tells me to be joyful in trial, so I'm going to be joyful in trial. So I put on a fake smile, and I try really, really, really hard to be joyful. <sighs> It's what we do, right? That is taping apples to a pine tree. You're trying your best to make yourself obey, and it isn't working. So what do I do? When I realize that I am not obeying the command of God to be joyful in trial, first thing I have to do is be honest about why that is. Everything is a faith issue. Every issue is a faith issue. Every issue is a faith issue. Every issue is a faith issue. If I am not walking in joy in a trial, it's because it's a faith problem in me. At the end of the day, if I'm not joyful in trial, that's because I don't trust Jesus in that trial. I don't trust Jesus that he's going to work it together for my good. I don't trust Jesus that he was already there before this trial happened, and I know that he's already on the other side waiting for me. I don't trust that he's going to be with me through the end. I don't trust that he's going to work this together and that I don't have to do it myself. At the end of the day, I don't have joy in a trial because I'm not trusting Jesus in that trial. So what's my response to that? My response to that is to fall on my face and to pray something like this. Jesus, 
I know you tell me to be joyful in trial, but the truth is, I'm not. I'm anxious and I'm frustrated, but I want to be joyful. I confess the sin of not trusting you in my trials, which is stopping me from obeying you and being joyful in those trials. Empower me to trust you so I can be filled with your joy. I see the command that I'm not obeying, but my immediate response is not to redouble my efforts and try my best and work really hard to obey. No, I see that it's a faith issue. I confess my lack of faith. I turn to Jesus, not me and my best efforts, and I ask Jesus to empower me to trust him and walk in obedience to what he's called me to. Another command that you're going to see in James is the command to um, uh, not be slow to speak. And when you do speak, use your words to bless people and not tear them down. Now, that's going to be an actual legitimate command of God. Stop talking so much. And when you do talk, use your words to bless people. Right? That's a, as we're going to find in James, that is a legitimate obey command of God. So, if we go through that and we realize, uh-oh, that's not me. Right? I am not obeying that. The answer to that is not to redouble up my efforts, right? I'm going to bite my tongue, I'm going to delete my social media because they just make me mad. I'm not going to do those external things to try to manipulate my actions. That's just duct taping apples to a pine tree. What do I do when that happens to me? Because it happens to me. I talk when I should not talk. And I, listen, I stand up for an hour every week and talk for them pretty much without notes off the top of my head. Can you imagine living with me, being in my kitchen, trying to have an argument with me? Pray for my wife. Being quick to respond is what I do for a living. Like, this is my job. I stand up here, I read your faces, and change a sermon on a spot. This is what I do for a living. Now, the flip side of that is, I can be super quick to talk when I need to shut up. That is a sin in me. So when I see that sin, what's my response? Is to bite my tongue and redouble my efforts? No. I see it as a faith problem. And so I go to the Lord. And I realize the reason I'm quick to speak is because, again, for me, Tire tracks, on, tire tracks on my back, not you, right? Maybe this isn't you at all. But the reason I'm quick to speak is because at the end of the day, I trust me and my words to fix a situation more than I trust Jesus to fix that situation. If I don't say something to him, who's going to? If I don't correct him, he's going to walk away thinking he's right. I have to say something. I have to speak. Well, the truth is, I trust me more than I trust you. It's a faith problem. So, what's my prayer in that look like? Something like this. Jesus, I know you tell me to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. But the truth is, a lot of times it feels like I'm slow to listen to people. I'm quick to tell them what I think. 
and I'm really quick to get angry at them. I confess this is sin. Jesus, empower me to trust you and your ability to change the situation more than I trust myself and my words. At the end of the day, it's a faith problem. As we go through James, the point of James is that you would grow and mature as a Christian. Right? Seven times in the book of James, he uses some variation of the word perfect. Right? That you... That you would be perfect, that you would be perfect, that you would be perfect. Now, that doesn't mean sinless perfection, right? Don't hear that and go, well, I'll never be perfect. No, what he means by the word perfect, it, it translates out mature. God's desire is that you would grow in maturity. Grow in maturity. And the way you grow in maturity is by obeying Jesus. And the way you obey Jesus is by seeing that you're a slave to Jesus. And how you live as a slave to Jesus is by living by faith in him. Jesus doesn't just tell you what to do. He empowers you with the ability to do it. So look to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. The first step to obeying Christ is understanding that you're a slave to Christ. Look again at that verse, James 1.1. How does James describe himself? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, back in the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, there was a trend, a t-shirt. Uh, people were wearing that said, Jesus is my homeboy. Anybody remember that one? Anybody have that shirt? Anybody want to admit to that? No? Okay, good. We do practice church discipline here. So it was really popular in Hollywood, really popular with musicians and athletes. Jesus is my homeboy. Yeah, I'm cool with Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. Um, so here's the problem, right? Um, Jesus is not your homeboy. It's not Jesus. Jesus is not your therapist. Jesus is not your life coach. Jesus is not giving you advice. And, track with this, Jesus doesn't give a rip about your opinion. He's not asking you. Jesus is sovereign creator, God of the universe. And your only rightful response is just obey every single thing that flies out of his mouth. That's it. Your job is to do everything, everything, everything he tells you to do. That's it. That's where your role is. You obey him and how you obey him is by seeing how glorious and beautiful and amazing he is and you're drawn to him and you want him and you desire him so you pursue him and obey you are called to just obey and i know some of you may be sitting here today and go well now that seems very very stringent that seems very tight. That seems very no wiggle room. You're right. You know why? Slavery tends to be that way. That's the definition of the word. There is no wiggle room. There is no vote. You just obey. And if you're here today and you go, well, that is not what I'm wanting to do, that's fine. That's your call. That's awesome. But for the sake of intellectual honesty, if you have no desire to obey him as a slave, stop 
calling yourself a Christian, you're not one. You're not one. And we pray one day that you will. Our prayer for you is that you would see your love for you and your desire to follow you and your belief that you are the ultimate God of your own little universe. You would see how frivolous and stupid and pointless and powerless that is. You would turn from that. You would repent of that. And you would turn to Jesus as your master. Our prayer for you is that you will. But if you haven't done that, you're not a Christian. You're not. But our desire for you is that you will. I'm going to ask our band to come up. And as they're coming up, I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads for me. I want to, I want to take this second. I want to pray over us. Because I understand that a, um, a message like this can be difficult to receive. And, and, and there's a lot of people in here with a lot of different things going on in your hearts in a lot of different places, a lot of different things that you're coming in with and histories and backgrounds. And so it's sort of like buckshot. I'm throwing it out at everybody and it's hitting people in different ways. And so I want to take just a second as we close here to focus specifically on just a few groups of people and talk directly to you, okay? First is this. For those of you that are actively seeking today to live as a servant of Jesus, You've trusted by faith in Christ, and that faith has indeed changed you. My prayer for you today is that God will take you even deeper in Him and empower you to live a life even more marked by Christ. Like we saw last week in Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul said that he had not arrived to full maturity yet. Neither have we. So my prayer for you as we go through James is that you're going to trust Christ to take you even deeper in following him. Second, I want to encourage those of you who are seeking to pursue Christ in faith. You may feel like your faith is small. You may feel weak and imperfect. There may be seasons in your life where you feel like you're taking two steps forward and one step back and you're constantly struggling. Some of you may be young in the faith, still trying to figure this thing out. Some of you may be experienced some significant wound or hurt in your life, and it's caused you to stumble in your faith a little bit. But you're seeking to actively live out your faith and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's just sometimes it's a struggle for you. I want to encourage you to keep pursuing Jesus. Don't be discouraged. Don't be defeated. As God shows you areas in your life that you still need to be matured in, trust Him to do it. Jesus, it's said of Jesus that, that, that a smoldering wick He will not extinguish and a bruised reed He will not break. What that means is when you're weak, you can trust Jesus. He's gentle with you. Trust that He who began this good work in you is going to see it to completion. Third, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will convict, convict some Christians in this room who are talking the faith way more than they're actually walking the faith. Remember, James is written to Christians who heard and agreed with the word, but didn't go out into the world and actually live out that word. 
I'm praying that as we go through James, many of us in this room will fall under conviction of the Holy Spirit about areas in our lives that do not line up with the Word, and we will confess those things as sin, repent of them, and turn to faith in Christ to empower us to live out our faith. And the last group I'm praying for, and I want you to hear me, is this. I'm praying for those in this room that would call themselves a Christian, but you have borne no real fruit to actually prove that. You show no evidence of loving God, no evidence of loving His Word, no evidence of loving His people, no evidence of loving His glory, no evidence of loving His holiness. My prayer for you as we go through the book of James is that you'll see the reason that you're not bearing evidence for faith is because you're not actually in the faith. You need to repent. You need to come to faith in Jesus. And you need to ask Jesus for the first time in your life to actually make you new. Some of you maybe repeated a prayer when you were younger. I understand that. And that's great. But if you haven't actually shown evidence of faith, you're not a Christian. The truth is this. The evidence that the Lynch kids... Maybury Jude, Haddon, and Lottie. The evidence that the Lynch children are actually Christians is not when they were nine, we led them to repeat a prayer. The evidence that they actually love Jesus is that when they're 39, they live the life of someone who loves Jesus. And if you're not doing that, it doesn't matter what you said when you were a kid. You're not actually a Christian. Today you need to be. Turn to Christ. Jesus came and he died and he rose again so that you can have your sins forgiven and made new. Today, come to Christ. Say, Jesus Christ, save me and make me new. Give me the change. Make me new. Take away my sin. Give me your spirit. I'm turning to you as my master. I need you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. Again, the key in all of this is faith. So as we end our time together, we're going to sing a song together simply called Believe For. And as we think about walking by faith in Christ, living as a slave of Jesus, I want to encourage you, it starts by you believing for it, trusting by faith for it. This is something that Jesus is desiring to do in you. Turn to Him, trust in Him. As we sing, we're going to ask you to stand and sing with us, but you can come down front to this altar and pray. Myself and my wife Marie will be up front. We'd love to pray with you if you'd like someone to pray with you. But today, Jesus is calling you to serve and obey him as his servant. The only way you're going to be able to do that is by faith. So today, turn by faith to him. Jesus, do in us today what only you can do for your glory. We pray this. In your name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together. They say this mountain can be
hearing this word today if you'd like to talk with someone we'll be up front we'd love to talk with you afterwards come up um, we can talk with you encourage you pray with you however we can uh, but we're just so excited for the work that God is doing here in this place if you're a, a guest here today welcome we're so glad that you're here uh, if you are a guest we'd love to connect with you best way you can do that is simply grab your cell phone and text the word connect to our number 910 424-1298. Just text the word CONNECT there, uh, and, and that'll give us um, your information. Uh, we won't spam you this week, but that's just a way for us to know that we'd be praying for you, that you were here, anything that you want us to know, you can communicate with us in that way, all right? But for everything else, I want to give you some announcements. Uh, our big three announcements, what's going on, uh, how you can stay plugged in and connected here at Southview, okay? Uh, first is this, some fellowship opportunities coming up. Uh, one, uh, our Ladies of Grace group, our ladies ministry, they're having a game night. That's going to be Friday, January 21st, starting at 6. If you want to sign up for that, just text the word GAME. For our guys, they got a couple of opportunities. One, a uh, movie night uh, headed up by our men's ministry. This is going to be for the whole family, so everybody can come and be a part of this. All right, it's going to be January 29th at 6. If you want to come, text the word MOVIE to 910-424-1298. Sign up for that. Let us know how many's coming in your crew. And also for guys, uh, on January 15th, they're going to be repairing the uh, uh, camp uh, uh uh, campfire place in the back and then doing a uh, campfire together so guys if you're interested in that just text the word bonfire to sign up for that that's going to be january 15th um, other quick announcements one new members class new members class it's going to be january 16th 23rd and 30th if you want to sign up for that text the word member sign up that's starting next week and then also equip classes starting in february february 6th we're going to be starting up are equip classes, and equip classes are just uh, standalone classes. Um, uh, I think these go for about 12 or 13 weeks. Uh, they just kind of go at um, big rock issues, right? The, the big rocks that you want to put in your cup first uh, to help you walk through the Christian faith. So we have three that we have coming up here in February. 
one, uh, journeying into God's Word. We're going to teach you how to read and study the Bible. So if you want to know how to do that, we're going to teach you how to do that. Second, we've got um, a marriage class, but we're doing it differently. We're dividing it up, men and women, in separate classes, all right? Because sometimes in a marriage class, like whenever you talk to the guys, the ladies are like, yeah. We talk to the ladies, the guys are like, yeah. Say it real quiet. We're going to put you in separate rooms because ultimately, here's the deal. I know that your marriage needs to be worked on, but the only way you can effectively fix your marriage is if Jesus effectively fixes you. So we want to start with you individually. Then we can bring you guys together, all right? So starting in February, men's class and ladies' class focused on marriage, all right? So if you want to sign up for that, for any of these classes, text the word EQUIP. We'll send you a link, and you check on whatever class you want to be a part of, all right? Learning to study God's Word, marriage for men, marriage for ladies, all right? Text EQUIP, sign up, any of those. Any other announcements we have, anything going on, download the app. That's how you're going to find out what's happening and what the Lord is doing here in Southview, how you can stay plugged in and connected. Give online also through the app or in the giving boxes as we leave. All right? Let me pray for us as we go. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Jesus, that you call us, that you empower us to obey. We ask you, Lord God, that you would allow us to trust you and walk in faith in you for your glory. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you so much. Have a great week.